Today we are closing our series on the Psalms, and uh, just as a way of starting, I'll say, just uh, give you a stat. According to the World Health Organization, the United States is one of the most depressed countries in the world. And that's despite this being known as a land of opportunity and despite its affluence in comparison to other countries. In fact, according to the CDC, nearly 10% of all Americans have depression indicated on their medical records. And so you don't have to go very far in America to, or even New York City to meet a person who's experienced depression before. In fact, you've probably experienced it as well, especially last year in the midst of so much loss. We, I was looking back at it, I think in three months, New York City had lost 30,000 people. You were, we were hearing about death every day. People had lost their jobs. They couldn't afford rent. They couldn't provide for their families. They couldn't afford groceries. And we had lost our way of life. There was so much to grieve in those days. But what is spiritual depression? I don't know if you've ever heard of spiritual depression or if you've ever experienced that before. And maybe you'll discover that you have. Spiritual depression is a loss of joy and spiritual vitality because you believe God has deserted you. Because you believe that He has forgotten you, He has forsaken you, and you don't know how to feel your faith anymore. You might know intellectually that He's with you, but the reality, the lived experience is that the feeling that God has deserted you. Well, today as we conclude our series called the Psalms of New York, we're going to close with looking at a psalm that speaks to our experiences with spiritual depression. Now, there are different causes of spiritual depression, the feeling that God has deserted you. Sometimes it's, like I mentioned before, your circumstances. Well, why is it, God, that you appear to be opening doors for everybody else in my life, answering prayers for everyone else, but you're not doing it for me? Clearly, the circumstances of my life reveal that you have forgotten me or that you have forsaken me. So it's a loss of vitality and joy that's tied to your circumstances. You believe that God has forgotten you because of the circumstances of your life. For others, it's not the circumstances, but it's sin. Like you have failed in ways that have surprised you, but haven't, hasn't surprised God. And you wonder, well, if I committed this sin, if, I've, if I'm capable of this kind of failure, this kind of rebellion, how is it that God could ever accept me again? So you don't feel that it's right to experience the presence of God. You can't reconcile those two things, your failure and God's presence in your life. So you feel deserted. He must have forgotten you. He must have forsaken you. Sometimes it's spiritual attack. It's the devil. Right? I know we get a little creeped out by stuff like that, but the Bible talks about it. Sometimes there, there are spiritual forces at work that make us feel the way that we do or is telling us lies about God that make us feel like He's deserted us. And sometimes it's your biology. Like you're just predisposed to feeling more melancholy or sadness of spirit. You're predisposed. And when you go through a spiritual crisis, it, you just plunge even more into despair. Well, whatever the cause of your spiritual depression is today, I hope we could see two things from this psalm that might encourage us. The first is this. Now, I'm sorry, they don't rhyme. There's no alliteration. They don't all start with the same letter. I tried to make it work. 
but this is what it is, all right? The first is this. Take heart because your longing is worship. Your longing is worship. So this psalm that Miss Audrey read for us was written by someone who was in exile. They were north of where the temple was. They could look out and they were longing to be in the temple. The temple is where the Jewish people, the people of Israel, would gather to worship. And they were longing to be there. And it, it, you can imagine what it was like when, in the midst of the pandemic, when you didn't have face-to-face interactions with people, when you, we couldn't gather in a place like this, even though this is fairly new. It's like someone saying, I long for the cafe. And in one sense, it's not really the cafe itself, but it's what you experienced here. Similarly, the temple was the center of religious life, but it wasn't just a temple. It's what is implicit every time the Bible talks about the house of God. They were longing for more than just a place. They were longing for a person. They were longing for the presence of God. And so what we'll see here is that when he sings of his longing, he isn't simply longing for a place, but he's longing for the presence of God. And this very longing is worship. Let's read verses 1 through 5. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. So he longs for God. And he describes this longing as someone, as a deer who's panting for streams of water. It's like walking up from the A A train or something up 145th and you get to the top of the hill and you find out there's no water, right? Like your throat feeling parched. That's how he feels in his longing for God. He cries day and night and his tears that stream down his cheeks. They are his food. They, it's what he ends up, uh, it becomes a source of nourishment. That's all he has. People look at him and assume because of his state that clearly God has left him. Where is your God? Have you ever felt like that? Now, not only do you feel deserted, but you kind of feel a sense of shame that if others were to look at your life, they would also assume that God is not with that, with you, with that person. Where is your God? Now, if you've ever felt anything like that, if you miss him, if you long for him, and you could feel the stares of others also maybe pitying you because they think God has left you as well, there is a tendency to feel guilty for feeling sad. Not only does it feel like God has deserted you, but the experience itself can make you feel like you're doing something wrong or that God isn't pleased with it or that It confirms that, yeah, everything you fear is true. He has left you. But here's the thing. If you look in the very, if you, if you ever have a Bible and you go to this psalm in the Bible and you look at what it says before it starts, it says to the choir master or the director of music. And what that would mean is that people would gather together in congregation and sing about this. So what does that imply? Well, one, 
among a community of people, there is permission to feel like God is not near you. There is permission to feel that longing, that void, that missing God. You have full permission here to feel what you feel. It also implies when other people are singing with you that they are experiencing longing with you. You're not alone, right? So sometimes you sing about things and, you know, it doesn't really resonate. It might resonate with one but not another. But the fact that the congregation is singing this together means that there are other people there that are willing to identify with you in your experience as well. So there's space for you to feel this. You're not alone in your feelings. And the third thing, the fact that they would sing this in the assembly means the very longing itself was a song of worship. In fact, 70% of the psalms are laments. It's a form of grief, a song of grief. Now, this is key for those of you who think that God is displeased or that you've got to be drawn out of this longing in order to truly worship God. No, it means that the longing itself is worship. So imagine it this way, all right? Imagine you have a close friend, a loved one, a significant other, a roommate, I don't know, somebody you love, okay? That you're really close with, you grew up together, you've spent significant time together. Now imagine that person tells you, hey, I'm actually moving away from the city. This other opportunity opened up and now I've got to cross, uh, I've got to cross the, I've got to go across the country. I'm not going to be living in New York City anymore. And you grieve that. Now imagine that as soon as they land and they get settled in their new place, they call you, and this is the first conversation you have after they've left. Think about what you could say to communicate what that person means to you. There are really two things, really. is I love you, and I miss you. Right? It's the only time when the void you feel declares the worth of somebody else. It's the only time when that, that gap, that chasm, that emptiness, that void has a way of honoring someone else. And this is why people in dating relationships will say, I miss you. No, I miss you more. No, I miss you more, right? It's like a contest of who has a greater void in their heart. And in doing that, what are they doing? They're expressing the worth of that other person. And here what you have in this psalm is a, is a person who is longing, who doesn't feel God's presence doesn't feel his faith. There's, there's a gaping hole in his heart. He's weeping. That's how real the experience is. It's his food day and night. And yet, that experience of void, of longing, of missing God, is something that honors God and declares his worth. So I want you to think about that. Yes, there's a void in your heart. Yes, you miss him. And it's been so long since you've sensed his love. Maybe you could think of a time when it was easy to believe. You just—you were one of those people who had faith and it was so easy for you to believe. And you long for a day when you can worship him again. When you feel like you can offer some kind of sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And I want you to know that you're already doing it. If you miss him, if you long for him, what you're essentially saying is, God... There's something about you that satisfies my soul. You have it, God. You are it, Lord. You're the one. You're my hope. You're the one that can bring joy into my life. You can gladden my countenance. You satisfy my soul. And if you say that, if you can acknowledge that, and in the absence of feeling God's presence, I want to tell you, my friend, take heart. Because God sees that 
as worship. The second thing we observe, not only is our longing worship, but we observe here that we must encourage ourselves with hope. What I mean by that is there is a time for encouragement. Let's look at verses 11 through, I'm sorry, 8 through 11. He writes, By day the Lord directs His love, at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior, my God. So we see here that God, He knows that God loves Him, right? He says, by day you direct your love towards me. And right after that, he immediately feels forgotten. He says, why have you forgotten me? And he feels it in his bones. He says, my bones suffer mortal agony. Right? He feels this void in his bones. So what does he do? Well, it's not the only time he does it. He does it earlier in the psalm as well. He encourages himself. He begins to talk to himself. He says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Right? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God, for I will praise Him yet again, my Savior and my God. You see, if other people ask you, why are you so down? Which we do that, right? Why are you so down? You might say, well, you don't know the half of it, and I don't have the time to get into it with you, right? But when you ask yourself, why are you so down? Someone who's fully aware of why you're down, what you're doing in that situation, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that your feelings aren't facts. You're willing to look at your feelings, why am I down, and acknowledge that what I feel may be real, but it doesn't mean it's right. There are reasons for encouragement. You're encouraging yourself, and the act of doing that is a way to redirect yourself to what's true. I talked to uh, uh, someone several years ago who was going through some spiritual depression and it was linked to circumstances in his life. Felt like God had misled him and God had forsaken him. And he was going through a time where he admitted to me, you know what, I can't remember the last time I read scripture. I can't remember the last time I was in Christian community. And we had had very difficult and challenging conversations before. And so I wasn't sure how to like bring this question in, but I decided to do it anyway. So, well, if you don't go to the scriptures, if you're not in Christian community, is there anything that's going to contradict what you are believing about God and yourself right now? What's going to refute some of the things that you feel? What's going to be there to tell you that, yes, what you feel is real, but it's not right, because this is what God's word says. This is what God says about who He is. This is what God says about who you are. We've got to be able to encourage ourselves with the Scriptures. We've got to be able to encourage ourselves, and that means lending ourselves to Christian community who will also be there to tell us what is true about God and about us. Now, I've got to be careful here. I'm an Indian. I come from a culture that smothers emotions. Right? So the way they do that is they're quick to just give you like Bible verses or throw a Bible at you. Like, don't be sad, right? Where's your faith? And you just have to quote away your sorrows, right? So they try to minimize what you feel and they cause you to suppress your emotions. So I want to be careful that what I'm telling you here is not that. 
But some of you also, I mean, of course, here in New York City, like, they've got, like, everyone's got a therapist, right? <laughs> like, if I was actually looking this up. New York City is one of the cities that has a high, high access to mental health. Everyone knows the importance, generally, of mental health, at least in Manhattan. And so there could be, in, in New York City culture, a tendency to just be like, well, let's just talk about our feelings. Let's just, let's get it out there. What do you feel? And sit in it. And that's wonderful. And so what this psalm does is it brings both together. You feel your sorrow. You acknowledge it. You sing about it. You grieve it with others. But you also know that you have to encourage yourself and remind yourself of what's true. It's not just about sitting in your feelings. It's about also being willing to to remind yourself of what your hope really is and encourage yourself. I want you to see that just in this psalm, right? This psalm also acknowledges that this is not, there's no quick fix about it. Sometimes it's a relationship between both of those things. For example, look at this roller coaster of emotions that he experiences. Verse 3, my tears are my food. Verse 5, why are you so down? Put your hope in God. Verse 7, all your waves sweep over me. Verse 8, you direct your love towards me. Verse 9, why have you forgotten me? Verse 11, why are you so down? Put your hope in God. That's what it could feel like. This is not by any means a quick fix when I say just encourage yourself because you could be encouraged here, but as soon as you get home, what's happening? You're going to be confronted again with your sorrow and the sense of loneliness that you feel, that ache in your soul. But I want you to know that there's no way around it. It's not enough to just express your longing. You've got to be willing to talk to yourself and encourage yourself of your Savior. Notice that it's not encouragement. He doesn't say, why are you so down? Why are you disturbed within me? And he doesn't say, put your hope in yourself. Come on, you can get out of it. Just just shake yourself free. Encourage yourself, right? Or it's not just simply like, oh, you know, save yourself or, uh, you know, do these devotions. Do A, B, and C. You can get out of it. No, his encouragement to himself is the character of God, that God will draw him out of this. The the weight of your trust is upon God. And that's kind of interesting because it seems like God's absence and God the forsakenness of God is the problem, that he has left you. And now you're saying that my hope is that he's going to draw me out? Yeah, that's our hope. The Bible says that if if we love God, it's because he first loved us. Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 6 that nobody can come to the to Him unless the Father draws. That means if you're feeling the ache and you're longing for God, even if you don't feel His presence, it's evidence. That longing is evidence that He's drawing you and He's at work. And so where is our hope? Our hope is that He's going to see that to completion. That He will lead you again to hope and praise, to praise Him once again. So if you look right now, if you're feeling spiritual depression or you could recall a time when you've experienced it, think about the ways that you might have encouraged yourself and what you would have said. Somewhere in the midst of all of that encouragement, would you be able to say that my hope to be out of this rut, to be out of this season of darkness in my life, my hope is the fact that God will draw me out. He will lead me to praise again. Because sometimes you could sit in that spiritual depression and think, what am I doing wrong? 
Why am I feeling this? No matter what I tell myself, no matter what I read, no matter what I surround myself with, I still feel the way that I do. But to feel that emptiness, to be drawn out of yourself and to say, my hope is that God will lead me to worship. He will draw me out again. That's what it means to encourage yourself with your true hope. It's what it means to shift the weight of your trust fully and completely upon him. So I want to tell you how he did that for me. Because some of this can sound mystical. Like God's going to draw me out of my depression. Like how, I'll tell you how he did it for me. So last year, I was spiritually depressed. Um, a few months after we had launched in the middle of the midst of COVID, like many of you, I just kind of plunged into depression. Um, I couldn't understand the meaning of why God allowed this crisis all over the world and in our city. And especially as we were, you know, really getting excited about launching as a church, it was just that question like, you couldn't tell us, Lord? You couldn't give us a heads up that this was going to happen? Because all of our focus was about uh, on being a certain kind of church. And when we couldn't be that anymore, I fell into depression. And I knew I needed community, so I reached out to friends and I reached out to people who would encourage me. But after those conversations were over, I knew that a week later, that a week later, I would feel what I was going to feel again. So when people ask me, how are you? Like the people who knew about this, I'd say like, as of now, I feel great, but I have no idea how I'm going to feel later on this week. And so I decided in, in June of last year, my wife said, hey, why didn't you get away for two days? And I got to go away upstate, was in an Airbnb, and the only agenda was just to be with Jesus. And I was reading the scripture and I was reading a book about our, uh, about, um, my, where my, my anxiety and my grief was coming from. It was, it, there's a statement in there that our hearts are restless, quoting Augustine. Our, our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in thee. We, and I had to ask myself, where was my heart trying to land? Where was I trying to find rest? It was a time for me to ask, and ask those questions and sit in solitude and investigate some of those things. And so I want you to know that in that process, God began to renew my heart again. Doesn't mean that I never experienced that. I'm one of those people who's prone to it. Doesn't mean that I never, I never face those waves of depression again. But he used, he used friends. He used the scriptures. He used the book. He used solitude. He used the outdoors to draw me out, to lead me to praise again. There were means, but he was the source. He was and is the hope. So for those of you today who are spiritually depressed, who feel that God has deserted you because of circumstances, I could tell you today that the evidence of God's love and God's presence in your life is not your changing circumstances. That's too subject to change for that to be the sign of God's love and presence. The evidence of God's nearness to you is that he came near to us in Christ. It's not the circumstances, but the cross that tells us of God's desire to come near and be with us in the midst of our worst and in the darkest hour of human history. I can tell you that. And I can tell you if you feel that the, the forgottenness and forsakenness of God is a result of sin, I can tell you that Jesus came for sinners. That Christ died for the sinners, not those who think that they're good enough. I can tell you if you feel like God has forgotten you because of your sin, that Jesus came for you. But even if in telling you all of that, it still does nothing to lift the sadness. While you wait, 
I hope that this psalm can let encourage you that in your longing, even in not feeling what you want to feel, you're worshiping. So it's not as if God is not pleased with you. And I want you to know that in your longing, even in your waiting, your hope still, while you're waiting, is in God and God alone, who will lead you yet again to praise Him, our Savior and our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the people who have gone before us who are vulnerable enough to share their experiences and put it down so that thousands of years later we could gather around it and find strength and encouragement through their experiences. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now who have been going through spiritual depression and they've felt deserted by you and forgotten by you and they're longing for your grace and your love to be real to them again. And Lord, I'm asking, Lord, with them that in your mercy you would pour out your love in their hearts by the power of your Spirit that you would lead them to worship again because we know that you are our hope you're the one that draws. You're the one that, that draws us close to you and gives us faith. Lord, we shift the weight of our trust away from ourselves. And we say, God, whether today or tomorrow or next week or a month from now, you will lead us to praise again our Savior and our God. We hope in you, Lord. God, I pray that you would look in my heart and the hearts of my brothers and sisters and wherever we are, despite what our experiences are. I pray that you would lead us to worship you now. In Christ's name.